This is the Tangled Podcast. I'm Julian DiLorenzo. Tangled is a show about sustainability, exploring business models and mental models. I'm curious how we can take ideas from nature to try to improve the way we use resources and interact with the world. From the food system to the built environment and global energy production. I'd like to learn from people who are building better ways of doing things. In this episode, I'm speaking to Thomas Mason. Thomas is a consultant at Metabolic, which is a consulting and venture-building company based in Amsterdam. In their own words, Metabolic uses systems thinking to tackle global sustainability challenges. Thomas's current work at Metabolic focuses on urban agriculture. He works with companies and communities and governments to try to increase the amount of food produced in and around cities. You might ask why you would want to do that. There are many benefits to city farming, actually. And most of those benefits don't even have much to do with literally growing food for people to eat. I'll let Thomas explain further. We did the interview at De Kerville, which is an experimental, sustainable co-working space in the north of Amsterdam. A former shipyard, the area was transformed by Metabolic and their partners a few years ago. They brought a bunch of old houseboats onto the land and laid them around the yard to use as offices and meeting spaces. There's also a cafe on site, which grows some of its produce in an aquaponic greenhouse. Aquaponics is a way to grow plants symbiotically with an animal, in this case fish. The system works by delicately balancing the water and nutrients needed for everything to grow properly. Indeed, the whole of De Kerville is designed to cycle resources as efficiently as possible. Solar panels generate energy, rainwater, grey water and sewage are collected and the cafe is building a biogas reactor to turn organic waste into cooking gas for their kitchen. The whole thing is an ongoing experiment, but so far they've had a lot of success. I recommend checking it out if you're ever in Amsterdam. If you'd like more information about the Kerville or about anything else Thomas mentions, go to tangledpodcast.com for show notes and links. Okay, here's my discussion with Thomas Mason. So I, I like the idea of seeing a city as an ecosystem, sort of thinking about the flows of stuff coming in and out, looking at how things interact. I'm curious how you think about that metaphor. What do you think the value is of, of trying to imitate natural processes in, in human systems, particularly in the city? Yeah, I think, I think that's a really, a really good question. And actually, I find that idea really, really exciting, actually trying the idea of learning from nature and replicating it in our cities and for me urban agriculture can play a really important prominent role in that um i mean urban agriculture has a really exciting sort of interest options with regards to energy with materials both with waste and food itself with water as well uh it can also deal with cleaning air and emissions so it has it can play many roles in tying all these different assets and streams together urban agriculture has get been sort of getting more popular in recent years um but it's definitely not a new concept um can you can you tell me a little bit about the history of of people growing food in cities yeah for sure so like you said it is becoming much more of a a prominent uh, concept right now uh, particularly in in a lot of western cities you're getting a lot of ideas uh, with regards to a lot of building developers are saying right we want to do something different with our building we want it to be sustainable and often they're saying okay let's put a greenhouse on the roof and produce our own food and yeah that is getting a lot of traction you also have cities like bristol uh, also moving forward with urban agriculture and have the strategies and all the cities in the milan urban food pact so there's a huge amount going on but 
like you said, to say it's a new a new concept is not really true at all. It's just kind of re-emerging now after a period in the sort of 70s and 80s, certainly post-World War II, where it's became taken a lot less prominent role in cities and society. So if you go back, I mean, the sort of a brief history of urban agriculture and an importance, particularly within Europe, is, well, yeah, it was very, very commonly used in the medieval period, of course. It was very normal then to grow a lot of some of your food in the cities because of issues like siege and warfare. You had to have some kind of resilience to these kind of uh, external events and impacts. In the industrial revolutions so and moving forward a couple of hundred years, then it was also still important. You know, back then you had these cities full of poor social welfare, poor working conditions, poor salaries, uh, and also just poor nourishment. So again, people there took the opportunities to grow their allotments and grow their, grow their food there. Moving into the 21st century, you had both of the world wars, World War One, World War Two, where you had really prominent campaigns by the national governments, like the the Dig for Victory uh, campaigns for people to grow their own vegetables, to take this reliance, uh, to remove this reliance off uh, importing in food from other countries, particularly in the UK, where there was a lot of a lot of huge risk from the submarine warfare from the Germans. But then post-World War II, you sort of saw a shift in like the ideas and uh, how society works and how this related with urban agriculture. You know, post-World War II, when you had this baby-booming area, era, uh, you had a lot of development with the buildings and so on like that, where actually it, it became more prominent within your social role to look at really like, well, how do you look at yourself and how do other people look at yourself? And there you saw this kind of this opportunity where people were doing less of growing their own food in their in their gardens because they wanted their gardens to look nice and green to have this nice grass and then it showed to other people looking out was like oh we're not poor we don't have to grow our own food and you saw a lot of these kind of semi-detached houses built up particularly in europe with these big gardens and these big lawns and these semi-urban areas where suddenly you lost this kind of urban agriculture perspective in the 70s you saw particularly a sort of bit of movement coming back again, uh, sort of recapturing this. And this was kind of led by, uh, you know, a lot of the hippie movement and growing your own food, having it pesticide free, it being organic, knowing where it came from, locally sourced, etc. But in the 80s, still, you then still had a pushback from the supermarkets, uh, from the big chains, the big food chains, the big food companies, which are there who want to try and keep a monopoly and keep control of this food system. And it's, there's been challenges and there's been changes going on there, but today it's now started, starting to trickle through more prominently again that you're getting more urban agriculture back into the into the cities, but it's still not there. And that's also what kind of makes it quite exciting because there's a lot of different opportunities, there's a lot of different growing techniques, different technologies, different business models, which makes it quite an exciting opportunity for any entrepreneur or pioneer to go into that sector and make a difference. Yeah, I suppose on that, it's, I think... Food's really interesting because it's so, you can do it so simply and with such little technology. Yeah. Um, but there's also so much development um, with new with new tech that either makes it more efficient or just takes out the human element. Yeah. Um, I'm interested how you how you see that that um, sort of tension between trying to keep things easy and simple. Um, and, and then, you know, not relying too much on technology, but then also sort of seeing that technology can have add such benefit. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I mean, for me, you have to look at every, every sector is 
being touched by technology and is being integrated in in some way or in one form or another and agriculture is no different from that or urban agriculture and for me there will be cases where it makes sense to integrate it in i mean you, for example you have one uh, vertical farm in tokyo where it's the entire thing is robotic not a single person goes in there and it makes it it's kind of or inspiring slash kind of crazy as particularly when you consider like food to be something so organic and grown and then it's uh, produced in such a technical and mechanical and robotic way it almost seems a bit of an oxymoron to put it together but it works uh it speeds the things up it makes it efficient you have less issues with labor but on the other hand i do think that food is and will always be a social a key social ingredient i mean I mean, you think of like most of the, most of the times when you're around with your family, you think of all the great meals you've had together and food always is a key component of that. And it's the same with growing food as well. And I think there's always going to be a social element to that, uh, particularly with people coming back in, get, getting work, learning, uh, being reintegrated into society. If they've had problems in the past, like food can play an important role. Or if you have people immigrating to a new city or they've been homeless, uh, growing food, teaching them a skill for themselves, but also teaching them a skill which can be transferable and they can work again is also useful so i think it also has a very important role in a social aspect uh, as well and well before i go on without the about all the environmental stuff i mean it's there's a huge a huge opportunity for urban agriculture i mean for example you look at how much our population is going to change in the next 20 30 years right now we're over 7 billion people by 2050 it's going to be over 9 billion people easily uh, it's a huge amount of people coming not only into the world but into the cities because these cities are going to grow the urbanized area is going to grow and the food system as we know it the conventional food system is one of the most impactful food, uh, systems across the entire world i mean people often think when it comes to sustainability or climate change and damage that you're looking at like oil you're looking at uh, flying you're looking at big industries but the food system as well has a huge amount of impact so and it's not perfect, you know, because there's also still a lot of people in this world who are malnourished and you have a lot of people who are obese. obese. You have this incredibly weird imbalance yeah. which shouldn't exist. And urban agriculture, bringing the food to the cities, producing more food where it's needed is an opportunity there because also with urban agriculture, there are techniques there such as hydroponics or aquaponics or vertical farming where you can increase the productivity but decrease the uh, environmental impacts whilst also having the food in the city and reconnecting people, particularly when it's healthy food, uh, is really of a huge social importance. So I think there's yeah, a lot to do there. I think it's great. <laughs> how, how did you originally get interested in it and then start, start working in this area? Um, well, for me, like, uh, yeah, half my family are farmers, conventional farmers back in the UK. Uh, so I've always had this kind of interest with regards to agriculture and growing food. Like, I was, So that's always been something which has been with me my entire life. Uh, but then it was moving into cities, I suppose, where I, I came into the city environment. And it's very different. Like from, I grew up in the countryside, I stayed in the countryside until I went, went to university. Like if, we, if I ate beef when I was a child, you know, sometimes I would know which field that beef came from. Uh, we, we used to grow some of our own vegetables, had our own vegetable patch, things like that. But when I moved to the city, that changes quite a bit. And I never really thought there was a really big interest in it. To be, when I first moved into, say, a city like Leeds, where I studied, I just thought, okay, yeah, there's still allotments and things, but that's kind of still like this 
alternative hippie cult, uh, corner, corner. It's not very mainstream yet, but it was when I actually came to work for Metabolic, where then some of the projects we had, like the Koval and also uh, the QO Amsterdam, where it really started triggering my thinking because was actually there was a lot of people interested in it and there were a lot of people who wanted to get into it and started growing their own food, but they didn't know how because that knowledge wasn't there. And then for me, that was then this opportunity to be like, well, this is something I want to learn about and then help other people kind of achieve these goals and come up with the ideas and make them actually happen rather than just sticking as a figment of the imagination. You, you mentioned QO Amsterdam. Can yeah. you briefly mm-hmm. tell me what, what that is? Yeah, so QO Amsterdam is a hotel here in Amsterdam. Surprise, surprise. And it is uh, just about, just under a 300 room hotel. It's four, four stars. It's quite luxurious. And it opened uh, earlier this year. Um, and QO Amsterdam was a project which we worked on as a consultancy to give them some advice with sustainability, not just with urban agriculture, but throughout the entire hotel development. And for them, there's kind of two key manifestos. If you want to be there, go there and stay as a guest. First of all, uh, they want it to be a kind of treat life well. Like if if you want to go there and stay there, you want to be able to go there and have a luxurious stay. So if you want to have a shower for 40 minutes, you can do because all the water is uh, gray, is, goes through a grey water system and is recycled and reused. That's great. Uh, but also they want it to be this kind of living building system and this idea that the building lives and that, that resources are cycled uh, throughout there and nothing goes to waste. Uh, so these are the kind of two main things. They wanted to go part of that and the greenhouse, which they've built on the roof, is a kind of a manifestation of that. So on the 22nd floor, I believe, certainly above the 20th floor, but the top floor of the hotel, they actually have a 250 square meter uh, pioneering high-tech rooftop greenhouse. And in there they have hydroponic systems, aquaponic systems, uh, uh, all the latest in LED lights, all the latest in smart climate control systems to try and grow a variety of different crops to be eaten in the restaurant. Uh, And it's a really exciting project. And yeah, they're trying new things here. Like it is trying new, they're not trying to stick with the conventional, they're trying to test new things and try new ideas and new growing techniques and new technologies. So it's very much very experimental at the same time. And it's not focused purely to production. Uh, if they wanted to focus purely in production, they just grow one crop. Uh, but they want to grow strawberries and flowering plants and herbs and lettuces and tomatoes. So it's also supposed to be sort of be an experience for the guests. So a guest can go up there and see all these different crops and take this idea away with them, as well as knowing that something they could have eaten from there has came from that rooftop greenhouse. So it's a really exciting project. In In terms of how much urban agriculture could take the pressure off the the, the wider conventional food system yeah. um, i'm pretty sure it's not going to replace it anywhere near replace it um but i think there's there's benefits beyond literally how many calories are going to be grown in the city how do you sort of think about the 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 range of yeah. benefits of of it yeah, you're right. I mean, it's never going to replace conventional agriculture straight up. I mean, uh, I did a study for uh, a housing development uh, in Amsterdam a couple of years ago uh, for a new build development of a couple of hundred people. And to take a kind of conventional building and to apply sort of some urban agriculture principles to it, they'd even struggle to hit like 5% of their food uh, input per year, which they could grow from there. So without like kind of completely remodeling how our cities are developed it's going to be difficult to to kind of 
meet the gap which conventional agriculture will produce. But that being said, like you said, there are actually a host of other different kind of uh, benefits which urban agriculture can bring. And I think that's the important thing to consider about it is that it's not just about food because with conventional agriculture, which is uh, in a rural area, the business model is traditionally centered around food and food production. Okay, you have like a little bit of diversification going on now with, you know, uh, farm nurseries where people can come drop off their kids or et cetera, et cetera, or very specialized in food techniques or agro-tourism and things like that. But in the city, urban agriculture is naturally intertwined with the rest of the city fabric and the rest of the city ecosystem. So there you have a lot more opportunities for to bring a lot more different benefits throughout the entire city matrix as a whole. You have, uh, on the one hand, you have, uh, of course, the environmental benefits. So, for example, having a lot more urban agriculture in there, you can help with uh, essentially decreasing the risk from flooding because you allow a lot more rainwater to naturally percolate into the soil. Uh, you have opportunities for rainwater capture there as well. But you also have a lot of imp interesting impacts for the biodiversity. You're bringing much more green and biodiversity into the cities. You have uh, impacts on reducing the heat island effect, which is also great. Uh, you can also bring... Could you just really quickly describe what the heat island effect is? Well, the heat island effect is it's, it's quite simple science. But uh, So the idea is that you have, uh, you have your big urban areas, which are now becoming more and more covered in concrete and tarmac and this is all very dark colored surface which essentially absorbs heat so it makes it warmer uh which is bad for the biodiversity it's also not really too great for you know for anybody's health for too long uh but particularly for the biodiversity it's bad so bringing back in these greener areas where you also have shade you have also more fresh air and also you have just less uh, heat which is captured by the radiation it brings down this urban heat island effect and improves the area so you have all these benefits as well you have the social benefits of course of it being a place for people to come to work to to learn a new skill to be reconnected with their food i mean particularly in some african countries like urban agriculture it's very important it's an important uh, job opportunity for some women because they're often stuck at the home doing the home uh doing the work and caring for the families but also urban agriculture is a way to empower them so they also have some of their own financial spending power which is uh uh which they are not reliant on their husband or their partner for so there's lots of opportunities there as well um so yeah for me there's a lot of cool ideas which you can do with this and it's just about creating a good business plan and a business idea tied with what you want to produce in the right context mm. Yeah, I suppose that's true that there are so many different ways of doing it yeah. uh, and the best way is going to depend so yeah. much on the on the context. Yeah, um, how, how do you how how do you start framing what, which is going to be best for, for which certain spot? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. I mean, um, that's the thing with any I mean, with any business, you always have to take into the local context of what you're doing uh, and what's available there and what's possible and what's impossible and what's stupid and you know the key components i think for when you're looking at urban agriculture really based on kind of three different levels the first of all is the sort of the geographical uh location of where you would like to start this urban agriculture uh business or idea in the world i think something in the developed world will take a very different form from the developing world which well I don't like to use those terms, but uh, uh, I think it's understand people understand what I'm what I'm talking about there. But for example, if you look at how the Netherlands is going to change 
into it by 2050 or how Amsterdam's going to change. Okay, there's going to be a bit of a population increase, um, of course, but the reality is that the city won't be much larger than it is today. And still, the whole city is surrounded by very fertile agricultural land. Um, and there shouldn't be a concern with the Dutch's, Dutch's connections with the world, with how they can actually get their food for the city. However, a city like Lagos in Nigeria, the population is going to absolutely skyrocket in the next 20 to 30 years. And there in Nigeria, the agricultural land, particularly in the north, is not as uh, fertile. And you have a lot more concerns about, well, how are we going to feed all the people there? And there you have a much more interesting opportunity really for to center around production and actually meeting the demand for food. Whilst I think here in Europe, how things will change is more about, again, more about integrating the food system into the city, looking at the circular benefits and the social benefits. So there's different ideas there. First of all, when, when you're looking at it in the urban area within the city, I think the location within the city is very important to take into account. Whether you're growing an urban agriculture uh, project, you know, in the actual right in the heart of the city and right in the heart of the urban area as opposed to if you're doing it on the peri-urban area which is still considered urban agriculture so right on the edge of the city it's very different you know in the peri-urban area where the land prices should be cheaper you can look at mass producing things and uh, using uh, actually some of the soil there uh, much more effectively when you could in the intra-urban area where the land prices are more expensive a lot of it's already built upon the soil will be polluted so there you have to look at different grow techniques different markets uh, how close you are to the markets etc etc so some big differences there and then of course you need to look at it well who are you doing it for is this going to be really a commercial venture something which is for business or is this something for yourself and is this something which you just want to take a little bit extra off your food bill every month like what is this is this a commercial business or self-sufficiency and i think these are the three kind of main things you need to look at when you're looking into setting up something to do with urban agriculture have you have you come across much criticism either politically motivated or, or on a practical uh, angle? Yeah, I mean, you do see criticism of it for sure, and particularly of particular typologies of urban agriculture as well. So, I mean, one of the one of the ongoing discussions at the moment in sort of urban agriculture world is this aquaponics and hydroponics uh, discussion because in this case the uh, the plants are grown in a soilless environment they're grown based on water systems essentially and one of the big discussions there is like well if all your inputs are organic can it be considered organic agriculture and organic produce which is very important for a farmer because if it's organic that puts an extra few dollars on their business model it makes potentially makes their business model more sustainable but there's a large part of the area of the sector which says well if it isn't grown in soil it doesn't matter if the inputs are organic it has to be grown in soil to be considered organic so this is one of the criticism or ongoing discussion also with aquaponics there's a discussion as well about like whether the business model can be sustainable uh, over a long term because with aquaponics you're producing two items uh, first of all you're producing plants so your, your crops but you're also producing fish off one system and they live together in one system which is balanced out to find the best sort of suitability for both and because you're doing that you're not making it as efficient as it could be if you're just growing plants or as efficient if you're just into aquaculture and there you know, the only sort of successful business models I've seen in Europe, 
with regards to these kind of aquaponic systems are ones which actually take into account some other assets into the business model. It's not just based on produce. It also has to be have a sort of experience side where people can come and do tours or it has to be maybe particularly on a particular niche where they're producing a particular fish which there is a demand for in that city or particularly like high quality crop uh, like herbs for example which are generally high value for fresh herbs. So you have to be a bit smarter and a bit precise with the business model there so there can be difficulties there of course then you have concerns about uh, health and food quality as well like you can't uh, it's very difficult now to bring you know cattle and livestock into the city because of the risk of spreading disease and rats and things like that that's something you, you re- wouldn't really recommend to do in a western in a, in a city at anywhere but at the same time there's interesting opportunities there and also you have concerns about there's definitely there's a lot of research still going on, uh, particularly from the University of Bologna, where they've been looking into, well, if you're growing all these food in the city, where you also have a lot of emissions from cars and from motorbikes and lorries and trucks and everything, like, do those emissions end up in the plants? Like, is it also healthy to eat these plants? And the research they've done, from, from my understanding, from memory, is that it is okay if it's a certain distance away from the road or from the pollutants, but, like, it's still, like, an ongoing learning uh, procedure uh, so there's definitely it's definitely not a kind of silver bullet for a city like there's still questions which need to re- which remain to be answered and still maybe some concerns which need to be uh, touched upon as well but like it's moving in the right direction that's for sure have, have you changed your mind on on any specific technique or, or strategy or sort of mindset of how you, how you think about it since you've started working in it uh, yeah I have. I mean, when I first started uh, working in this field, I was very, really, really keen on really a high sort of technological approach to serving to solving this urban agriculture needs. And I was really, really thinking like technology can solve a lot of these problems. Let's just go invest money in technology, go for these robotic kind of farming options, go for this vertical farming and massive skyscraper buildings, and then it'll be fine. But what I've came to realize not just for working in agriculture but my work in general is that when you're looking to create a sustainable system it has to be adaptive and it has to be resilient and for that to be there it has to be versatile and you have to have a huge variety if you just rely on one particular system to produce the food you need it just takes one external input into that to come make the whole system come crashing down so for me What I've changed is to think, well, now actually, okay, yes, technology can still play a role in urban agriculture, and it should play a role in urban agriculture, but we shouldn't also forget the traditional ways of farming, particularly in the peri-urban areas as well. Like This can also still play an important role and should play an important role as we grow more food in our city. So I'm all for a more diverse kind of urban agriculture scene. How do you think about the need to balance different use cases for green areas in the city? Like, Have, have you ever come across situations where there's a conflict? Some people yeah. want a park, some people want a, a mini farm, some yeah. people want some to regenerate some habitat for native animals. Yeah, yeah we, I, we come across this challenge all the time. Uh, so, for example, uh, we, one of the cases we had was a building development uh, and they were very interested in urban agriculture throughout the entire building actually it wasn't just on the roof it wasn't just in one room they wanted to integrate urban agriculture throughout the entire building on many different floors all over the place but what they also had to do was they had to produce because they were going for a certain sustainable building certification they also had to produce a certain percentage of their own energy and to do that 
they wanted to put solar panels on the roof. But if they were to put solar panels on the roof, then it's going to be very difficult to also have a greenhouse on the roof or to grow any kind of food on the roof with raised beds or anything like that. So immediately there was this discussion about, well, what to prioritize. And often it's very difficult to say, okay, you should always put solar panels or you should always put a, uh, put a, a greenhouse on the roof because there's so much local context, which is sometimes lacking in these kind of decisions. Um, so for example, like a project, another project which we used at was a, a similar kind of situation. They had they had to make this trade-off between, well, do we want to put solar panels on the roof? Do we want to put in a little area for the employees to come and relax afterwards with maybe like a little bar and maybe a greenhouse in there, which is just like kind of a nice greenhouse, but not reproducing? Or do we want to have a greenhouse where we're producing food? And in the end, it made sense based on the local context to actually not put urban agriculture on the roof. And that was because in the local context, that area where that building was being developed, there was a huge amount of potential for solar energy. And it was actually one of the goals of the city to increase the amount of solar energy being produced. And But nobody was doing it in that area. And therefore, it made just more sense in that case to look at, like, okay, we're going to put the roof full of solar PV because it gives something back to the neighborhood. It gives something back to the city. It moves it in the right area. And we're going to explore other ways which we can do something with the urban agriculture. So in the end, they started looking like, well, maybe we can do something more in around the car parking area maybe we can have some small plots which we won't manage ourselves but we'll actually get in contact with this cooperative who are actually already running a urban agriculture farm just a, a kilometer away and see if they'd be interested in managing this land for us and that's what they decided to go with in the end so they got the best use for the roof for them they actually also integrated more into the local community by reaching out to these local urban farmers and the urban farmers got like a little bit of land extra land to also grow some more food so it worked out well in the end but it's always this local context and the local needs which you have to balance about if if someone's interested in trying to start something in there either just at home or, or something bigger are there any books, websites, anything that you would point them to to start their their journey of education? Yes, there is. Uh, I mean, for example, I think if you're doing something, if you're in a city, you really should check out the Milan uh, Urban Food Pact because there's a lot of different initiatives going there all around the world. So if you're interested in learning about more, go to that website and find out more about what's happening in your city because once you can connect to the people there, uh, you can learn a lot about what's happening and what you can build upon. But you also have RUAF, which is W-U-A-F Foundation, which is based in the Netherlands, and they have a lot of really good uh, advice and research and publications about different forms of urban agriculture around the world where you can, if you want to get some read, do some reading and learn about kind of the theory and the opportunities out there, there's a lot of lot of good material there. And then also you have Bright Agrotech, which is the United, uh, which is a, a company based in the United States of America, where if you're really interested in hydroponics, aquaponics and vertical farming, they have a lot of great material about uh, about yeah not only about the different techniques but also about the business models the business cases also about how to get onto that and then finally if you're interested about how you want to integrate this into a building design then also come to metabolic where i work and we can talk about seeing like well is this the right thing for you to do what are the different techniques is the business model right for you for your ambitions of the building and this is also something we can help with as well and I'll, I'll put links to all those sites in the show notes as well. Um, inertia is always such a hard force to fight against. Yeah. Um, do you, have you sort of come to learn any strategies or tactics for, for trying to get more people on board 
with starting something that is pretty unconventional yeah i mean like you said inertia is one of the difficult is yeah it's difficult to get past that point often in a lot of cases and i think with urban agriculture you really need to look at well okay when you're wanting to get something going you need to look at well who are the key stakeholders which you need to get on board and how do you want to get them on board like and why do you want to get them on board and you have to see it from their point of perspective as why they should like what is important for them because like i was touching upon with urban agriculture earlier there's a lot of value to it it's not about just just growing food there's also this kind of idea of like bringing in the the social integration uh, side so for example uh, an idea project which i'm working with together at the moment as part of a consortium is called this homeful greens project in los angeles uh, and there they want to use urban agriculture as a, as a method, as an engine to solve problems within social and welfare and the local economy to reinvigorate the city. And for, because of that, those techniques, they're approaching you know, NGOs and coming to them saying, look, we've got this social opportunity where we can get homeless people off the streets and living in, uh, in good houses, but also growing food and learning skills that's great for them it's that they can also approach the city of la and saying that we've got a new business model for you we've got something which can bring more money into the city it's going to strengthen the city's economy so that's a different aspect you've also got the food side where it's like well we are producing food this is a new business this is going to also help with uh, obesity in the united states of america and getting people reconnected to healthy food so yeah you have to look at particularly the stakeholder who you want to get on board or who you, the barrier which you're facing and try and look at it from their perspective and see what makes them tick and take it from that angle rather than just thinking, oh, this is great. It produces food in a sustainable fashion or whatever your own personal angle is, but you need to see it in other people's footsteps. And if you can do that and speak to them about it on their level, then you often stand a good chance of getting through there. Is there anything that we've touched on that you want to go deeper on or that i haven't mentioned that you want to keep discussing well uh probably <laughs> let's think i mean i think when people think about urban agriculture i think this is also one of the things is that they they're not aware of the huge amount of different kind of typologies and opportunities out there and it doesn't really matter like how much kind of education you have in this if you want to do this for yourself like it's very easy just to start growing some pots you know with some potted plants on your balcony or on your windowsill just to start growing something uh, in your kitchen and then like to build it up from there and you know once you start doing that you start realizing there's so much different so many different things you can do you know you can grow conventionally on the edge of a field or you have you know for example one of the department stores in paris they have these raised beds on their rooftops which uh, which they, they actually just let the employees use to produce their own food uh, which is really cool or you have these really high-tech uh business models based on these uh, container farms which have all these vertical farming systems in there which is a different business model or you have these you know there's so much you also have people growing mushrooms in the city based off old coffee grounds you have uh even have uh, idea in rotterdam now to bring a floating farm into the city with actually cows in it where it floats on the water you have sustainable production there um you have actually also really interesting business models with actually really connecting it into another building's function so in paris as well you have a greenhouse now which uses the uh which cascades the heat from a server room for, for heating the greenhouse there which is really cool so you have lots of different ideas within the city where you can play together it's not just simply 
having an allotment, which is what it has been for 20, 30 years or so. You know, like that's what urban agriculture has been kind of narrowly paced into. But now it's really the opportunity to kind of expand upon that and do a lot. And if you're willing to, you know, learn and try something new, you could potentially be the first person in your city to do this. And then you, you can very quickly build out a successful business from there if you really want to take that approach. Mm-hmm. Um, if people are interested either in, in your work or metabolics, is there anywhere online you would send them? Yeah, like our website, uh, www.metabolic.nl, has a lot of information about not just the work we do in, in cities and urban agriculture, but also the circular economy and sustainability in general. And we have a lot of publications and reports on there, which anybody can download and read. Uh, so feel free to go on there. If they go on there, they can find my contact details, which is thomas at metabolic.nl. Uh, and again, if they have any specific questions, I'm more than happy to send an email uh, my way and I'll answer it the best I can. So, yep, there's plenty. Also, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the usual social media platforms. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. Thomas Mason, thank you for your time. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for listening. You can find show notes with links to all the people, projects, and books that were mentioned in the conversation by going to tangledpodcast.com. If you have feedback, let me know on Twitter. I'm at Julio underscore. That's H-O-O-L-I-O underscore. If you liked the show, please share it and subscribe to Tangled in whichever podcast app you use. You could also rate the show in iTunes, which would be a huge help. And finally, you can sign up to my email newsletter. I'll let you know when new podcast episodes are released, and I'll send you a monthly list of good books, articles, and other podcasts to read and listen to. You can sign up at tangledpodcast.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll speak to you next time.